Hello, good evening. Welcome to the CG Pro Podcast. Please like and subscribe and follow us on becomecgpro.com. Um, tonight is my great pleasure to welcome Mariana. She is a visual effects artist and entrepreneur, um, having been pretty key in the world of virtual production. Um, Mariana's from Mexico City originally, now in LA. Um, she is the mastermind, one of the masterminds behind Glasspops Technologies and has worked for the Foundry and done all kinds of amazing things in the world of film and visual effects. Mariana, great pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much for joining us. Hi, uh, thank you. It's great to be here. And hello, everybody. Yeah, thanks to all our listeners as well. I should have said that. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, please feel free to to fill in any any gaps there. I know I'll give you a, a pretty short intro, but um, you've done a lot of things. Mm, true, short and sweet, though. That's, uh, that's good. Um, I moved here in 2009 and I was a VFX artist, a senior VFX artist at the time. And I started working in all the studios, you know, Sony, Digital Domain, uh, CS Hollywood, a lot of studios that don't exist anymore, making the rounds. Um, and I think at some point around there, I decided that I wanted to do something different and I went to a foundry event. Um, and I started to chatting to the foundry, the great foundry folks about Nook and just giving them my thoughts on what I thought could be improved in the product. And they actually offered me a job. Yay. Um, so I never thought to work in, you know, software uh, or at a software company. And uh, I went to see them at their office in Venice. And it was actually fantastic. And so I joined the foundry and I became kind of like the Nook ninja. That's how I was known back then. Um, and then I became the head of creatives. So the, the, basically they're the head of product specialists, although the founder called them creative specialists. So, you know, Modo, Nook, Nook Studio, Katana, all that, all that good stuff with a global team. And it was great. And at the same time, uh, that's when I started to fall in love with virtual reality as well. And so I started to go to VRLA and, you know, it started to be the hype of VR here in Los Angeles, California. So I actually founded a company called Joel VR. Uh, that had offices in Mexico City and LA, and I was doing, you know, branded content and 360 video shoots. And at the same time, started to convince and help the foundry to develop, you know, we started to develop CaraVR and doing all the rounds, helping filmmakers with all that. Uh, those were some great times. And then I was also involved with a lot of model VR uh, at that point. Uh, and then, of course, because of this, I started to be um, a film deliverer in real time technologies. And um, I was already working with Unity, with Unreal, and I just really saw what the future held uh, when it came to, when it came to virtual production and real time technologies. And I left the foundry in at the end of 2016, and with my co-founder and a couple of laptops, we you know decided we went to like a park and started near the airport and started like just in a napkin, like sketching out for some reason. I don't know why we did in a napkin but sketching like our plan for uh, Glassbox. And we just wanted to create tools uh, of the shelf solutions for virtual production, you know, for studios, kind of how we started to mastermind the whole, the whole idea. And then HTC Vive decided to do a prototype. And HTC Vive, uh, we ended up being of the, the Vive One Accelerator program, the batch one. And so we kind of, I guess, were the, one of the finalists and HTC Vive was our seed investor 
uh, and so that, cool. then we ended up in like a little Airbnb and then we grew um, to, you know, where we are today and we're a global company, offices in Australia, Germany, LA, Mexico, uh, lots of companies, uh, I mean, lots of clients, lots of companies and studios that are our clients and yeah, I think, I think that's it in a nutshell. Amazing. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's more as well. No, you, you've, it's been really interesting watching your journey you know, as an artist and business owner to kind of different hats to wear, but uh, you've done done really well with both of them. Do you, um, ha, ha, what, what do you like to do the, the most at the moment? I imagine being being in Glassbox, you are wearing a lot of different hats as a, uh, as a business yeah. owner and a technologist and innovator and what was yeah. like to, I'm sure you didn't have an average day, but uh, doing that many things. <laughs> um, I think I, from, a, from a you know business or a startup perspective, I'm always going to be like an artist at heart, really. But I'm also you know I, I have a lot of ideas and I love to execute a vision and strategy, and I love products and creating products and going through the whole product life cycle. So um, I enjoy putting on to, you know, all the different hats. I, oh, I guess I also forgot that during, you know, the pandemic, I also became a virtual production mentor for the, uh, for the Epic Games for the fellowship. And then I also was a, a supervisor for the writing and real program. And so I think that's, I just have a lot of energy and I know how to do a lot of things because of my background. And, you know, I'm always, um, I also did an AI certificate at MIT and I was also involved with the AI community there for quite a while. We were actually developing, putting a lot of AI uh, structure and roadmap in, into Glassbox. Um, so I just, I just think it's like, I, I have a lot of energy. I like to wear a lot of hats um, and I like to do many different things. But uh, one of the things that I enjoy doing the most as a business owner is always, you know, like as a co-founder on Glassbox and the time that I was a chief product officer, is always knowing how the tools work and always getting your hands dirty. I will never want to be, you know, one of those people that at a in any role, you know, you don't know how the technology works and what everybody's using and the workflows, et cetera, et cetera, because then you kind of start, that's how I feel that you kind of start losing touch with, uh, I don't know, with, uh, with your people and how things actually work. Right. Yeah. You want to, you want to understand it from the ground level, be able to yes. understand it the best. Yes. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so going back to your describing the beginning of glass box is really really fascinating you know going taking it from something that's a couple of laptops in in a park to the point where it's now a global company um can you describe a little bit about uh what what the the genesis for that was it, i know you you explained a little bit about your your desire to make tools but was that um did you get a kind of a spark of inspiration from a particular thing we did. We just went around visiting all these different studios because also my co-founder is uh, has a lot of experience in you know game engines and and VR and real time and all that. And so because of his background and mine with visual effects, we re we both really love technology and we love virtual production. And we were seeing you know what uh, was being done with Jungle Book and kind of like the beginning of the hype. And we just went around gathering a lot of feedback. And we just had like a moment of like, oh my God, this has so much potential when it comes to just helping people 
visualize and be collaborative in kind of bringing back this, you know, with visual effects, I feel that a lot of the creative process kind of went away there for a while because this is like fix it in post, you know, tennis balls and just actors in green screens. And that can be, you know, very daunting and very just ugh, you know, hard for the soul. So whereas now you're being able to, you know, visualize your virtual double and you're, you know, the, the avatar and the making of avatar and all that good stuff. Uh, we just had this moment of like, oh my God, let's help filmmakers really visualize, collaborate. Let's build tools that are easy to use that they don't have to have all this know-how when, you know, when it comes to the engines and whatnot, because that's that was another kind of like ooh, moment, eureka moment that we had was um, precisely just seeing that at the, at the time there was, you know, there was a lot of like hesitation because of uh, usually a traditional VFX pipeline doesn't have, you know, doesn't have game engines in it. So there was a lot of hesitation and a lot of doubts. And so we thought, well, if we make tools that are easy to use or cross-platform, then we can make it really easy for, you know, studios, uh, you know, co independent content creators, as well as studios that want to maybe start to dig deep and dive, do a deeper dive into virtual production. Um, and then I guess we did things right because then Alibaba became our investor and we went into series A and we ended up with, you know, really nice offices um, and all that good stuff. So a very nice, you know, success story. But that was it. It was just that eureka moment of saying that you, how you could leverage virtual production just for when it comes to just something as simple as being able to visualize what you're actually doing, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's no, I definitely resonate with that a lot. Having worked on Jungle Book um, and the crude state that virtual production was in at the time, trying to bolt a bunch of technologies that didn't, that's not like Unreal is now, which has lots of tools specific to filmmaking, still is a, clearly a game engine, but it has a very rich tool set. And then you guys are even taking that even further and making it. Um, more user-friendly from a place where it was really only the domain of of programmers at that point. You, know, it was, you had to build all the tools from scratch. They would kind of be born and die with it with each movie. At the end of Jungle Book, all that kind of stuff went away, and then it was recreated again on The Lion King, and then it kind of went away again. It's amazing to see that now these tools can can live on and be built on top of uh, and compound and get to improve. And they don't just pop up and down with with each project so yeah, it's, it must be amazing to to be able to work on that and, and see the, the the progression of it that's very cool yeah thank you yeah do you um so in the 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 beginning of the company did you um what what was your your strategy at the beginning where do you where did you start from did you start having hiring developers and um well, uh, yeah. So first, first and most important, uh, I, we actually called him our technical mastermind instead of CTO or technical lead. Janice from Germany, just that incredible guy. We we actually had a, have, have, but at the time it was a bigger uh, team in Germany, um, and Janice was just incredible. Just this German guy that knew what you know, one of these unicorns that just knows, understands UI, UX but also C++, blueprinting, C sharp and prefabs, like just absolutely everything. And so we just started kind of like, we started going from the, what would be 
the kind of like not the lowest hanging fruit, but something that would be easy for to for us to develop rapid prototyping that could be easy to use by you know kind of like everyone. Um, and we thought, well, a virtual camera. That's you know that's kind of like you, you have your iPad, you have your phone. Everybody already has a camera in their pocket, a companion app basically in their pocket. Um, and then we did something really smart that was a partner with the third floor, the biggest visualization studio in the world. And then we created a whole, you know, project with them from concept to delivery in six weeks. You know, the storyboard, the script, the storyboard from the, you know, the art department concept, absolutely everything. So then we could show the virtual art department with the real time editorial, how you could leverage, you know, virtual reality into this. Um, and that's how we came up with uh, the idea for another tool, Beehive, which is, you know, our version control tracking system, like our Google Docs for, you know, the game engines. And it was thanks to creating this project with them. So it was fantastic because we were able to production proof, you know, our concept, create the tool, the first tool, which is Dragonfly, the virtual camera, partner with them. And then from then on out, you know, doing demos, demos, demos. And we started to get, you know, a lot of customers. And from then we were able to build on Beehive, who, which won a technical Lumiere award. Um, and then another thing that was crucial as well was talking to filmmakers, talking to virtual cinematographers, you know, the users, visual effects artists, VFX supervisors. So you have to talk to everyone and not just kind of like decide that because you think a tool should work a certain way, then that's how you should build it. You know, kind of like the concept may be great, but as you're iterating in the different versions of a tool, and you really have to, we were, we were always being, I really believe in that and being very client customer driven because those are your users and you want to keep them happy. Um, and then we partner with uh, Faceware Technologies to create live client, which is our, the facial performance capture solution. Uh, and right. so that was pretty amazing as well. And that, there was a whole, you know, SIGGRAPH real time demo that we did with them. So yeah, good times. Amazing. I actually don't know as much about the the beehive project. I know your obviously the dragonfly, um, which is I've heard a lot about from various people around the industry. But um, yeah, can you tell us a little a little bit more about how the beehive works? Oh, absolutely. So beehive is basically you know it's used as your um, Swiss Army knife for virtual production because it's you know when you're doing virtual production, it can be really hard to track all the different changes that are happening on set. And especially if you have, say, you know, you're doing a shoot where you have some technical artists that are in Montreal and maybe you're also doing, you know, the shoot, say, in a stage in LA. So with uh, Beehive, you're able to work together in the same level at the same time. So transparent live collaboration and then do location scouting, whether you wanted to use VR or not. And then do asset reviews, do multi-location, you know, VR visualization, as well as having a history state, kind of like super easy Photoshop style um, of giving you a workflow of what you see is what you get. So you could be having eight people working in the same level at the same time. Everybody has a name, everybody, you know, you have a client or you have a server, everybody syncs into it with um, a scene, everybody's thinking of the same in the in the scene, it doesn't really take that long for the first time. The first time that you open a scene, it doesn't really matter how many levels it has or you know how many assets it has in it. I mean, depend on it, it maybe take a minute, but it's really not that much considering that you know you're you're syncing massive scenes in around the world. And then you can all be in the same level at the same time 
have a virtual camera operator while somebody else is in VR and you're all able to see each other at the same time. And then BHAG is also tracking, you know, every change that is done, whether you're doing it in Maya or in Unreal or Unity, and you can even do making changes at the vertex levels, um, you know, animation, et cetera. And of course, uh, a scene, you know, lighting and the textures and materials are not going to translate one-to-one -one in, you know, in, in Unity or Unreal or Maya. Of course, every, you know, each of these platforms has their own, uh, they all have their own, you know, nooks and crannies. But the point is not, you're not doing final pixel with any of this. What you're doing is you're visualizing, you're collaborating, you're doing, you're seeing what everybody else is doing, whether you're in Montreal or this or that or anything else. And you can, and again, and you can see all of this. So, so it's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, yeah. And that's why we won a, a technical Amir award with it. And um, it's, you know, it's been, I don't know, it's been, we're, 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 it's our, our proud baby. We're very proud um, of Beehive. And it's also, a tool that reduces the need for so you needed nine developers before on the stage uh well now you don't need nine developers now you may only need three and this is not about you know just cut people out of a job or anything like that no it's just you know reducing costs to make it more efficient and lenient so that then everybody you know studios of all shapes and sizes can actually use virtual production because it's not just about the you know the jungle books and whatnot right or the lion kings yeah yeah, it's really uh, expensive to do it at the Jungle Book time of of life. If you needed a kind of Disney budget to be able to do it, um, so right, and not everybody not, has those budgets, right? So not many people, no. <laughs> yes, that was really our goal from the very beginning um, was to democratize the tools and also help just reduce the waste that that existed. Because as you were saying, like with the Jungle Book and everything else is like this, you know, amazing people come together, all this talent, you have this amazing pipeline, but then that's it. It's a one-off and yeah. it's lost there and never again. And so that's also, you know, then that means you can't really scale, deploy, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so I, I didn't know that it was capable of communicating between different software as well. So that's a big advantage. It makes me think of the um, the omniverse and uh, and some of the things that are happening in that space you know, around USD and it's a it's a pretty exciting time in general te technology wise. Did you? Um, oh, you guys... absolutely. And I, I just want to make a point that now we yeah. don't support Unity anymore because you know uh, we partner with Epic Games and um, uh, as you know, Epic has been really fantastic when it comes to you know the pandemic and the fellowships and everything that they've done for the industry um and and the user base kind of just started like decreasing so we we decided to drop support for unity so now it's just cross-platform between unreal and maya but you know it's great and i'm glad that you bring up the metaverse because you know we, we, we've been thinking about the ways that our tools could also leverage creating content inside of the metaverse yeah yeah, um, can you give me your sort of uh, minute version of what you, how you see the metaverse? Because it's obviously kind of a, a term that's thrown around a lot at the moment, and people probably have very different understandings of, of uh, what they think it is, similar to, to virtual production. Back, but yeah, if you, what, right. what's your take on the on the metaverse? My take on the metaverse is well, of course, we're in the very, very early, very early stages. Um, my hope would be that it's a place where people can create 
any type of content by any time i don't i don't mean like you know violent or no i mean like a really creative space where it's like a, a meta box a meta box like a sandbox in the metaverse right um and just really uh experiment in the narrative and just find different ways to tell stories and you know maybe share stories and, and the characters that you come up with etc that's my that's what i would love to see happen um and being a you know very collaborative collaborative i've said like that word like 500 times but you know i'm all about it um but unfortunately i don't think that's gonna happen i feel it's gonna end up you know i mean the name has already been taken sort of uh gonna shut up on that front but um <laughs> but then what are we just gonna replicate what we already have right like this is gonna be another place so that you get targeted advertising and you're gonna get like just like you know 500 ads of more stuff that you don't need to buy and we just replicate i don't know the trollers and the haters and all that i mean i would hope not and i would you know have this amazing grandiose idea of what it could be but we're humans and so we're, i believe that we're just going to replicate what we already have unfortunately what's your take on the metaverse Ed? so why well, I, I personally have like all the things i've heard about the metaverse of one thing I think similarly to virtual production, like in, in some ways it's new, in some ways it's not. Some things are like Second Life has been around for quite a long time and there's other connected immersive experiences that have been around for a while too. We're, we're obviously at a different state now where we can do those in more, uh, in higher fidelity. There's in fact another bunch of people that's, that stemmed from Second Life, all high fidelity, but yeah, being able to do it in, in with greater quality uh is something which we can we can do now um so i think in some ways it's not new i think that uh trying to own it quite kind of subverts the definition of it in my in my opinion so really like somebody trying to say this is the metaverse and we own it and we forward it kind of doesn't really make it the metaverse in my in my opinion is in my opinion be lots of different spaces that can connect together but like like the internet um i think tim sweeney's uh description of it there's a great hour-long video of him explaining his take on the metaverse I, I that's my favorite one so far in that it's something that somebody that one entity can't own that's an interconnected network of immersive spaces that um it should be freely available it should be well at least free freely accessible although you can obviously build things in it build marketplaces and ways of monetizing it and creating businesses but um something where there would be definitely places where you wouldn't want to go and places where you would want to go so lots of different things connected together but no one owner of it like i i think that's yeah my... good good luck with that right i mean good luck with that though i, I i've heard his uh, definition of it and i quite like it a lot i mean I also like the version of the book Snow Crush of the Metaverse, definitely. Unfortunately, I'm not very uh, hopeful that uh, good things are going to happen there. But anyway, let's move on to, <laughs> well, I'm move sure. on to other topics. I, I agree with you in that I think that um, people will own chunks of it like they do the internet. You know, Facebook owns a massive chunk of the internet socially, for sure. But um, I just don't think any one person can own the metaverse i think 
just in, in the same way. Right. I'm, I'm hoping not. And let's not have like metaverse influence, influencers, please. <laughs> you know, metaverse free of influencers. Like, I would say good luck with it, that. <laughs> right? Can we just make it a much more creative, open space? Well, my, my, my interpretation of it would be that you can. It doesn't prohibit other people from making other things that you don't like. But I think, you know, I It'll be very interesting to see where it goes. And it's, it almost yeah. kind of, in my opinion, isn't really a thing yet. It's still appearing uh, as as a thing. There isn't a place you can't go to the metaverse at the moment. There's not like a web address for it or a platform for it. It's some, there's some different people experimenting with it. But I'm, I'm fascinated by it. There's a lot of talk about it. And I'm, I'm definitely, obviously, being passionate about computer graphics, I'm obviously very interested to see where it goes but we yeah, will same. see yeah we'll see yeah um given it's so it sounds like from what you're saying talking about the metaverse talking about filmmaking potentially some other things that um that really the world is opening up it's not just about um cg is not just about visual effects anymore just about filmmaking it's all kinds of things uh people being their own creators it feels like it's welcoming a lot more customers or users or people into the creative space in cg um do you have any any thoughts on how that is expanding to a wider audience oh absolutely um i mean i think for independent content creators, one of the most fascinating things to me during the pandemic is just seeing how people maybe were sitting on ideas for a short, you know, or maybe for a movie that they wanted to kind of do a, a pitch base for, but they hadn't really had the time to do it. And then, you know, all the lockdowns came to be, and then all of a sudden, all of these different, different independent content creators, we actually helped quite a few realize their projects and it's you know they would get a motion capture suit whether it was rococo or or they would like borrow manage to borrow one you know an extend suit from someone or you know they all like a few banded together to like buy an extend suit together and they just they turn their move furniture around and they turn their living rooms or their you know rooms or their home office into a full-on volume or start to create a, a you know do a lot of experiments with um with the vibe trackers which so see with the vibe trackers as well and then just started to manipulate the the you know the virtual characters and then just full-on come up with either a pitch list for the movie that they wanted to create or a short or you know just do a vr experience or whatnot and then just seeing what you know creators are capable of doing just with technology that's available to everyone, just a gaming laptop or computer and your iPad and you know, maybe your vibe tracker or whatnot and your Rococo suit. Um, and, and you know, if you were doing a facial capture, you just needed your phone as well. You didn't even need a head-mounted camera, right? Or a web-based camera. So that to me was really fascinating just to see how, and that's, that's the beauty of virtual production that it's really not about having a massive stage with a green screen and then having 2,500 shots are visual effects, right? Uh, and then this creator is with Unreal. Well, you already have the lighting and you already have the effects for free, which are you know, the most expensive parts of the pipeline as well. So uh, 
you know, they are able to just experiment and and create. I mean, there were a couple of people that created their pitches for their for their movie, and they actually got a, a I think they got a mega grant for it. Um, I'm actually pretty sure that that they did. And then just so so many mega grants as well. You know, just given out from all these for all these different projects that came to be. So that to me was really fascinating, and that's what's amazing about virtual productions. Like. If you really want to know about it and you go into the YouTube channels and you read, you know, you can just dive in and start doing it and start creating it. And you're not limited and constrained by anything except, you know, yourself. And yeah, of course, you're not going to get a budget to create like Avatar 5, obviously. But if you just want to really start doing, you know, blocking or uh, scouting or start diving into, oh, well, what's our, you know, uh, what does the art department, the virtual art department do? How do we create assets, et cetera? I don't know. Like it just, it's just really fascinating how open it is for different, uh, you know, types of content to be created. But at the same time that maybe traditional filmmakers or cinematographers or DPs or whatnot, if they were maybe trying to switch careers or upskill and then just leverage and learn about these new technologies. And then with the pandemic, that was kind of like, what a lot of them did. Like I love Wolfie. Wolfie is a great example of that. Um, and then and then they realize that all the skills they already have, that there's nothing to be afraid of, that all the skills they already have can totally be put to use in this, you know, in, in this new world and the buzzword of rich production and, and whatnot. And then just learn a few more things, but they can still apply everything that they already that they already know, right? Right. Yeah, this is yes, yeah, interesting. You mentioned the the buzzword of virtual production. Um, so yeah, I'd love to ask you what what that means to you as well, and what uh, virtual production means to you. So to me, I'm gonna say two two things. Virtual production is production, and you're just adding the virtual element into that. Or simply put, is where the digital worlds and the physical worlds meet, right? And um, for the for those I don't know in the audience that maybe don't know, if you have a virtual camera in Maya, okay, well that's not virtual production. That's just you know CG. But the moment that you are on he, here in <laughs> my office, but you have uh, you have um, you have an iPad, and then you have a scene say, in Unreal Engine, and you're able to then visualize that scene. And then you're able to put, you know, some object, some prop with like a vibe tracker or something, and you're able to see a physical object in the physical world and the digital world are merging, and that is virtual production. Awesome. And everything that that accompanies that, because it's, you know, it really encompasses so many things, and people think it's a new technology, but it's not, because it's been around for a really long time. It's just we have like everything, technology evolves. And the technology, you know, has evolved until it's available now to everyone, not just, you know, the cameras of the world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing to think about it. Some of the kind of the, what people perceive it as as being the Mandalorian and that only. Um, really, that's an extension of something that's been around for nearly a hundred years. And right. In using rear projection, it just so happens that now it's fancy and you can move the camera and get parallax in the background where you're a little stuck before so yeah it's it's all an evolution um but a very exciting time because the confluence and and the the meeting of all of these technologies coming together and the fact that companies like epic have done so much work uh to to improve it and release it to the 
into the wild for people to use it for free it's incredible this is the first time that i've ever seen that for sure right yeah it's um yeah definitely interesting to hear you mention the fellowship as well i know that's something that people have been really keenly watching um can you tell us a bit about your your experience in the fellowship oh yeah i mean it was it was amazing and i think right now there's been almost it's somewhere like 500 and something folks that have gone uh through the virtual production fellowship from epic games and it's like 22 countries with people from over 22 countries it's such a diverse you know the people that go in it it's such a diverse it's just so so diverse and it's really incredible what epic was able to do and they actually came up with the idea at the beginning of the lockdown in 2020 because you know they thought oh my god a lot of folks are gonna lose their jobs there was gonna be a lot of people just sitting around so you know what this is also you know of course they want people to know unreal so what perfect one more perfect time to do it than than you know and from the moment that lockdown starts and they put together a curriculum like you know really quickly and it was just a, an incredible experience and just helping people create a, a really kind looking short in five weeks when they're coming from, you know, a flame background or a cinema 4D background or even data wranglers. I mean, just you name it. it it's not like you just have this big experts that have been doing this their whole life, like not at all. So seeing like how they started from start to finish and being there throughout their wins and their struggles and everything else was amazing i mean it was just that's a fantastic experience and i would do it you know all over again <laughs> awesome what um yeah what uh would you recommend to people who maybe don't have access to the fellowship uh do in getting started you know being uh if people are out there listening who who want to try virtual production or want to experiment with some of this new technology Oh, I would highly recommend that they go to the Epic Games you know, Real Engines online learning portal and they sign up. I mean, downloading uh, Unreal is free. And then on the online learning portal, there is so much content that they can watch. There's a virtual production track. There's actually a whole course on how you can create a short film, uh, you know, from, from start to finish. So, and then of course there's you guys, CG Pro. So you guys are a great place to, I mean, I took one of your classes and it was, it was really good. <laughs> thank um, you. I wasn't just asking for a shameless plug, but thank you for it anyway. <laughs> no, I know, but <laughs> I'm gonna do it. I did it anyway. <laughs> thank you. Um, um, yeah, no, so there, there's really so much, even if you go into YouTube, there's, um, and if you Google five virtual production channels to know, and then you know it shows you on youtube like the five virtual production channels that you should uh, know about so if you really want to get into it like i would suggest to do those as a, the first steps and then depending on how deep you want to get into it well then of course then there's other options available just for as a starting point and then of course reading the virtual production field guide from epic games which is for you there's you know two volumes because that way people can actually start to understand because i think Another great thing about it is that there's so much, I, I feel there's so much room for people to really get into this industry. There's a lot of like, if you see all the jobs, I mean, if people watching are looking for a job, 
just start getting educated in it because there's a need for you know coordinators producers <laughs> cinematographers developers artists like just from all walks of, of life so yeah highly recommend if they are interested just starting the online learning portal you know youtube you guys great resources amazing yeah just jumping in basically and it's incredible that the tools are free so much of the learning is free it's, there's no real barriers at this point to getting started you need a machine but then arguably you can rent machines in in the cloud too the cloud. We'll do this Correct. Stuff and have a virtual machine an hour. yeah 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 exactly so there really is no i mean there really is no excuse and plus like if you think about it if you how much money do you spend on streaming services right so or coffee or x or y that's yep. money that you can spend on a virtual machine a few classes you know what i mean like investing in yourself yeah absolutely yeah do you do you see any particular areas of need from on your travels where there's more opportunity uh well definitely if you know blueprints in unreal there's of course a lot of opportunity there uh technical artists of course that's a little bit you need a little bit more you know time and energy to become a good technical artist but there's quite a need for for that as well because you know the, the amount, as you know the amount of content that is being produced right now and that it will continue to be created in the future like there's just so much need for you know uh technical artists blueprint knowledge and also you know on set in camera visual effects but not necessarily that you have to know oh my god how does an LED wall work and I need to know everything about you know pixel pitch and the pixel brilliance like not 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 at all but just knowing kind of like the basics of onset including you know they're a VFX supervisor becoming a virtual production supervisor there's a lot of need for virtual production supervisor engine supervisors level design lighters yeah right. my god I can keep on and on <laughs> yeah I've seen some lists from recruiters as well. There's yeah, a tremendous amount of opportunity at the moment. So I think it's a really great time to get in because right now there's so much demand and so little supply that you can kind of bypass some of the things that with visual effects, you'd need several years. Usually people will ask for several years of experience in the craft, but now they're looking for people, they need people and they will forgive not having quite as much experience as that. So it's a good, yeah, yeah. Good, good time. You're absolutely right. I mean, I've even seen job posters that imagine like this back in the day would have never really happened, where you see that, you know, they may have like a real time department or visualization department, and they're saying, look, if you know Maya, Cinema 4D, like whatever tools you've been, you know, using X and Y skills, and you have no idea how Unreal works, or, you know, they may have their own engine, some facilities have that. They'll give you the training. They'll, you know, they'll, they'll put the effort and the time to invest in, in, in teaching you and really showing you how it all works. Um, so yeah, it's a really great time to take advantage of this. And if you are looking for a job, like just, just do it. Just do it. There you have it, people. <laughs> and another, another wonderful tool, which is a favorite of mine, is Blender, which again is free. Oh, I love Blender. Accessible. Yeah. Yeah. And Blender is great for virtual production, actually. It's great. I mean, it works really amazing with Unreal. So yeah, love Blender. 
never been a yeah. fan of Maya, but but it's there. We oh. we like Maya, but Blender. <laughs> I would I would say the same thing. I, I was it's uh been I'm very fond of it. I've used it most of my career uh, for twenty years. I've been using Maya, but uh, I think there's a lot of barriers to entry with it. One one of them being the financial one, um, and I, I believe that the the amount of innovation that's pouring into blender is just is incredible it's just a, right even more than the sort of fact that it's free is the fact that it's got so good it's just blows my mind and professionals are now using it people in in the industry where even a year ago or two at least people were saying that's ne no it's never going to get used by industry it's just a just a hobby tool but now i know people all the big studios that are using it at work it's... Oh yeah, I'm actually. I wish that I had the time to use it more, because incredibly enough, it, you see the updates that they do in their releases, and it's like spot on, right? Spot on of what you're after. Like even for doing storyboarding, for like they're just really nailing it. And then you see like maybe other products that have been around forever, and you see their updates on the releases, and you're like. Okay, nobody needs that anymore. Like nobody wants that. Like get on with the program. And these are paid products, right? And then Blender, you like, it's like they always nail it. I mean, I always watch the release videos and they always nail it. And I just saw someone in the comments said, "Oh, I spent thirty five dollars to help uh, make Blender open source." Well, thank you. We appreciate awesome. that because <laughs> we're big Blender fans, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've given them some money too. I, you know, I, I definitely want to encourage it. I like it. do the same with Wikipedia. I like to encourage those guys yes. to stay being a free ad Same. free resource and yeah it's really it's amazing that we're living in this time where you can choose to sponsor an effort like that and there's all these big companies that are getting behind blender too uh epic including epic and apple and amazon and there are all these major companies that are that are really interested in seeing seeing it succeed which is yeah incredible yeah yeah yeah, really exciting time. What um, do you do? You guys, uh, Glassbox, work at all with? Um, are you working with Blender at all? Is it mainly Maya? And no, it's it's Maya and Unreal because you know, for when it comes to onset or when it comes to you know the types of productions, we we would have we would also see about like you know Houdini, Nook integrations. We you know we because we could basically plug into anything because our proprietary technology works on top. So, you know, if Amazon has its own engine at one point, we can hook into it or Apple, it doesn't really matter. We build it precisely. So it's not, you know, we're not just limiting, limiting ourselves. Um, but when it comes to virtual production on set, you know, Maya is just so embedded in the pipeline when it comes for the, you know, the, the VAD pipeline and the asset management and the reviews and all that. So that's why it's, it's just Maya. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, still very embedded into all the major pipelines. Yeah, very embedded. And, you know, I think it will change little by little. But in the meantime, it is it is very embedded. And especially because Maya, you know, for previous has been around for for ages. And of course, then it was just kind of like by the fact of just yeah. put into the, the VAD uh, pipeline as well. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um. In, in theory, you can use anything as an asset creation tool, which is where where I think it's 
it's starting to expand a little bit at some of those studios. Like if you, you can use it to make yeah. some polygons that then end up going through something being processed into Unreal or wherever they're going, then it doesn't necessarily matter. But still, it's also the user base too. A lot of the professionals who are, are trained up and are still reliant on those uh, existing tools, as well as the the, uh, the fact that they're dug into pipelines and they're connected tools wise to pipelines this still exactly that, yeah and, and i feel that's mostly why but i think that will definitely be changing in the future but you know yeah. so little by little yeah it takes time you know if you're learning a tool like that and you're so fluid in, in maya it's definitely annoying jumping into something else that you're not and you, you feel awkward for a bit but yeah I, I i like i like to keep chipping away at it myself and trying to improve over time because i i, I do it's just yeah, it's and, and you know, how much it's got in there. And that's also one of the reasons why we uh, created the, the, the all of our products cross-platform like that, because we were also thinking, we talked to a lot of Maya users that were just like, we're not learning Unreal, we're not learning, we're, we're absolutely, we're not learning Unity, we're not learning, we've been using Maya for 25 years, I am not learning anything else. It's what I do, this is my bread and butter. And we were thinking about those uh, artists, you know, as well, which fair enough, but then that way they would be able to see what was happening in unreal scene and then just see it in maya and use the tools they know and love in maya you know all the features they love in there but don't not feel um threatened if you will and then just be able to feel part of the process at the same time right yeah it's it's really interesting time now i i you can, you have a pretty extensive compositing background that was kind of how you got into all of this so what are, you, what are your what are your thoughts on compositing? Because I hear a bunch of people out there saying that, or the, the sort of worry speak about this is going to take our jobs type of thing about virtual production. I've definitely heard compositors worrying about uh, about that. But where, where, how do you feel um, uh, compositing changes with the advent of of virtual production? Yeah, I I am so glad that you're bringing this point. Uh, they're bringing this up because that is not true. Just anybody that is out there like worried that they're going to lose their job because now everything is going to be done in engine, final pixel compositing, just everything is going to happen in engine. That's not going to happen anytime soon. A, the streaming wars. There is so much content being created right now that you know, there's not even enough know-how and studios in the world even to be able to create the amount of work that is being outputted right now everywhere in the world to be done in engine right now. So let's just like from, from a, like a, if this was a whole business perspective, it's just impossible to do that right now. But not only that, you know, Nuke and After Effects, even Flame, it's still super, you know, embedded in pipelines in the workflow. And there's always, this is something I, I like to remind people, we are we are living in a world with the just think about the amount of content how you you know consume and how you distribute it all the different platforms how you can view it or experience it etc and i'm just talking about everything it'll be absolutely everything there is enough for everyone so you're not if you're good of course i mean if you're terrible and you have a terrible attitude well that's gonna be you not <laughs> not the other way around right but there will continue to be composite and work because there is room for creating final pixel in engine there can be plenty of work for that 
And I think it will continue to go that route because it's great for animation. It's, very, it's really amazing for, you know, experiential broadcast, other types of, you know, uh, other types of, of work. Uh, but when it comes to compositing, there will continue to be so much work um, compositing wise that they nobody has to worry about it at all. There's enough work for everyone. I've also heard this about virtual production. I've heard this in panels and I'm like, oh my God. If anybody's going to Egypt right now, not that you can, I guess, because of COVID, but if anybody's going to Egypt right now to shoot plates of Egypt, they're out to lunch. You can just do everything in an LED wall and, and use this and use that. And then you're just like reducing so much, so much cost and so much time. No. And even saying things like if anybody's like going into physical locations to shoot principal photography, that they're absolutely out to lunch. And that is also not true. If you actually want a shot of Egypt and you have the budget to go to Egypt, please go to Egypt and shoot it for real, because nothing will look better than that, right? Than the actual Egypt. Nothing will be that. But um, so that's also not true. So there's plenty of work still for DPs you know, to continue doing uh, and cinematographers to do in principal photography. But there is enough work, enough content being created for absolutely everyone. So nobody's jobs is going, are going away. I would say just learn more things, you know, just to be aware of what's out there, because that also sounds like, what's the word? Because I forget in, in Spanish, but like well, mongers, like scary mongers. I, I can't remember. Like, yep, that's, you know, yeah, that works. Yeah. Yeah, but people that love, you, you know, when when digital, when film went from uh, optical to digital, also people thought it was the end of the world. Even when photography went from black and white to color, people thought, Sam, you yeah. know, people thought it was going to be the end of the industry when movies and the shows started to have sound. So yeah, there's always going to be that fear, but I guarantee you, mark my words, that is not the case. If you're a really good compositor, there's plenty of work. For you, if you're a really good DP, if you're a good cinematographer, technical artist, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, lighter, there's work. An effects person, oh my God, plenty of work. Yeah, that's a good, a good one to get into if you want to get paid well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the riches are in the niches, as they say. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I try to do that, but I was like too in embedded in compositing at that point to change. Right. Well, thank you for uh, taking the worry out of the world. So don't worry. My, my pleasure. <laughs> exactly. Don't <laughs> worry. <laughs> There's a lot of other things that we should be worried about, but that's not one of them. But not compositing jobs. No, no, definitely not. Um, do you, yeah. how, do you, how do you see virtual production helping or, or changing compositing? Is it something that kind of can assist with it and there's all, there's some interesting things happening in the space i think even with some some open source tools coming up that are looking pretty promising but um yeah i mean i think there'll be a lot more um you know simulcam type projects where you do the compositing in real time i think there will be a lot more of that for you know specific shots and specific sequences specific shows and whatnot there'll be a lot more of real-time compositing. Um, and also, of course, composure in Unreal Engine. I mean, it's it's got 
I, ha I haven't tried it actually in UE5, maybe it's, it's changed. That also has a little bit of ways to go in terms of just like the workflows and what you're used to do to making it look more cinematic, like, you know, chromatic aberration and lens yeah. flares and, you know, grain, you know, all, all the all the nooks and crannies to make it look more cinematic. Um, but I think there'll be a lot more happening there as well as, you know, kind of like live compositing for broadcast. That also, I think, is going to expand a lot, a lot more. Right. Yeah, it's an important area. I think it's it LED walls are amazing, obviously, but they're expensive, fairly inaccessible to most people. On green screens, you can buy a piece of green cloth, put it in front of there's that there's that um, I forget who it is, an amazing amazing blender movie that's that when you see the behind the scenes, there's there's tiny little rectangle of cloth behind someone's bedroom the result of it looks like you know feature film quality is incredible that that is like except and it was made in blender it's incredible that that's accessible to to anyone at home yeah with the right skills right and and the fact i mean i think that doing real-time compositing it's, it's even if it's you know even if it's just for like blocking or staging like it doesn't necessarily again for the people scared about losing their you know compositing jobs no because even if you are just able to see like a first pass of what your work's gonna look like i mean that's a game changer that means that you don't need to do 500 revisions of one thing right so real-time compositing is great and and i think htc is also coming out with some sort of system that's gonna I, mean, I don't really know the details of it i just know that they're coming out with some you know a, a system that's going to really help not only in the compositing side uh but also on the you know when it comes to like gen log and virtual production for like indie indie filmmakers and it's going to come out soon so yeah oh cool that's awesome yeah. uh, that, that's that seems that seemed like a, a no-brainer to me that that so many people out there are using five for um for camera tracking and that that one issue is real, really a blocker for people. But and I also feel like they could do really well. There's people hacking vibes to be mocap suits, and I feel like they could do really well to. So get they're on coming that. out sure with they something are. because they they yeah they've seen the potential. Like like we've worked with them a lot. You know we partnered with them a lot, um, of course, and, and and they saw that. So now they're gonna come out with like a system so that people can stop hacking and you know just use something ready made. Right. Yeah, it's a real pain trying to get that going. The hack with the hack method would be really nice if you could just turn it on, plug it in. And yeah, plug and play. All about the plug and play, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for uh, for those little leaks there. It's like great, great to hear that stuff. It's definitely a bit a bit of things I was hoping would would appear. Um, so it's great to hear that they're working on that. Um, I know that you also are making some moves personally you uh, i am uh, yeah i am so because of the pandemic my company kind of became a really lean mean well-oiled machine and then my my company glassbox they were very supportive on me you know joining uh, uh helping unreal and epic for with the fellowship as a mentor and then you know with everything else that i that i've talked about uh, so then with that ended, I was like, oh, no, I can kind of like push myself out of a job because, oh, you know, there's uh, everything's running amazingly and very smoothly without me. You did your job too well. Be... <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, and I was beginning to think, oh, I'm going to be 
kind of bored now. Um, and then Technicolor approached me and they, you know, made a really amazing offer that I couldn't refuse. So I am now the senior vice president for global virtual production and onset services. So for visual effects, episodic film, animation, and games. Um, so it's quite a challenge, but I am, you know, very happy to be taking it on because again, I have a lot of energy, so I'm very, very excited about it. Amazing. Well, it sounds like a very good home for all that energy. I, I think that sounds incredible. Congratulations again. And yeah, definitely excited to see where that goes and we look forward to, to when you're able to say what, uh, what that's going to look like. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You guys will definitely be one of the first to know what's happening. Awesome. Well, yeah, maybe we can have you back when you're, when you're allowed to talk about it. Yes, <laughs> let's do that because there's going to be some uh, really grandiose things in the future. So amazing. Yeah, I can only yeah. I can only imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah. What uh, any other things that you're excited about that you are aware of? happening in the world of virtual production? Um, I just want to, uh, you know, I just want us all to come together to what virtual production is. Let's not, uh, you know what I think is going to happen with virtual production? It's going to happen like VR. Everybody was like uh, fighting about what VR was, right? Was it interactive? Is, is it right. 360? Remember those days? People were just fighting about yeah. this concept. So let's just stop fighting about it. Virtual production. Just look at the VES, you know, guidebook, like the, ha the handbook. It's all these terminologies have been around forever. They're, you know, industry standard. Let's not worry about that because in the future, nobody's going to be calling it virtual production. It's just going to be production. Maybe we'll just call everything, you know, design visualization or uh, something, something like that. Um, yeah, I'm just excited about my new role and I'm really excited to continue to see Glassbox um, just thrive um, and iterate on the products, you know, just now when I joined Technicolor, we were coming out with, a, and it's still going to be coming out in the future, a, a product called Firefly to track all the lights on set. And, you know, so that they're uh, merged into Unreal Engine, you know, they're mimicked in rather than merged. Uh, just whatever lights you have on set, the physical lights, you're going to get the same into your virtual scene in Unreal Engine. So matching temperature, et cetera. So, and we're working with Ari. So just pretty excited about the future in general. You know, I love this industry. I love technology um, and just excited to 2022. Hopefully it's not as crazy as the last two years of this decade. <laughs> well, it's in some ways, you know, it's been crazy and some negative sides to it, but it's also been in my, from my perspective, incredibly productive and allowing us to kind of go virtual and focus all these a lot of these things got invented in the last two years it's been pretty hairy for sure but definitely very very productive and i hope yeah. that that continues yeah maybe... exactly like i have no complaints i'm with you just not you know just not with a hairy bit <laughs> yes exactly yeah yeah hopefully we get to go out again do some traveling things that we enjoy. yes exactly just <laughs> Hug your family members in Christmas and New Year's without it being cancelled and that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, well, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me, and thank you everybody that joined. Thank you very, very much. Really appreciate your time uh, and having me and watching. Amazing. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. It's been really great 
chatting with you and catching up and hearing about all the cool things that you're up to and really appreciate your time and yeah thank you look forward yeah. to the uh the update right yeah now, same same awesome yeah and thank you to all our listeners as well thanks everybody for tuning in look forward to another you get a lot of congratulations in the chat here i can see lots of lots of love coming your way um congratulating you on your your next adventure um yeah so anyway thanks to uh all our listeners please tune in again in two weeks uh like and subscribe to the channel follow us at becomecgpro.com if you're interested in our classes and what we're up to and yeah look forward to seeing you again in two weeks thanks everybody mm -hmm.